-hmm. Welcome again to Christian Thought in Our World, Episode 5, CRT and Race-Based Ideologies, coming soon to a neighborhood near you, or perhaps even your own neighborhood. We've been dealing with the issue of race since the last episode. And so in this episode, we want to take a look at more specifically the ideologies that pertain to race and our culture today. Critical race theory is the one element that is a hot topic at this moment. If you've been paying attention to any commentators or been watching the news, I'm sure you've been hearing stories regarding this. So that's a topic that we want to take on today, particularly because I wanted to make a notation to a article that was actually in the New York Post in which the teachers unions actually announced that they'll be fighting against those that are critical against uh, CRT. And so that means that they're not only going to be going against those who oppose, but that they're actually going to be going after parents that are uh, disagreeing with this teaching. And so when, when you get a chance after the, sh after the show, in the description, we will have a link to this article if you're interested in getting more details about this. But I think it's an interesting situation that this particular theory is now being sought to be imposed by actually what is the biggest uh, teachers union in the country. And we know that for those of us who live in California here, for sure the NEA has a big role to play. So what we want to examine is what is exactly critical race theory and the ideologies that come off of that. One of the things that I think that if people don't already know this is that CRT is basically an, it's an, an element of what's called cultural Marxism. We have this Marxist ideologies that are being uh, brought to us in our society, uh, particularly through the schools, beginning at the colleges, and now it's going down, even down to you know, kindergarten, even down to the elementary school levels. They're trying to push this stuff through. So the first question that we want to look at is, what is CRT and what is its aim? Brother Johnny, I know that you have commented that you had looked into CRT, and I was wondering if we could pick your brain on this issue. If you can explain to us, as you've uh, studied what uh, critical race theory is and what do you see its aims to be? Well, uh, when it comes to critical race theory, uh, what, one of the things that you have to understand is because critical, it, it all traces back to what is called critical theory. And the, a lot of these ideas come from what, basically they come from a philosophy that, that was developed in part by, by Karl Marx, uh, who, who's famous for writing the Communist Manifesto. And, and basically what his was about was about developing this struggle between uh, those who have the, the business owners and then the workers who are getting very little. And so he would refer to them as the proletariat those are the people that, that are poor. And the bourgeoisie, these are the people that have all the economic power and whatnot. And so after, after the, the certain things didn't go the way that Karl Marx had predicted and, and, and the leaders uh, along with him, uh, these theories began to take shape and they birthed other theories. And so one of the one of those theories, uh, as we go, and we can't because of the the length of this show, we can't go through all of them. I would recommend a, a book that uh, Brother James is going to talk about, which is by Vadi Balcom, called Fault Lines. And uh, basically, uh, what critical race theory is about is the idea 
it's basically a worldview, an analytical lens one uses to examine the world. And they're basically saying that racism is a normal thing. We basically live with it, even if you don't know it. If you're a white person, you are a racist because that's the way society has conditioned you. And what you do is you have to redefine racism by looking at inequalities. So if if white people are doing better in certain things than, than black people are doing, therefore it's systemic racism. And uh, you have uh, certain terms that, that are used that are sociological, such as anti-racism, which is basically the belief that white people cannot be racist. In other words, there's a, it's, it's embedded in our society. There was even a, a Christian uh, pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention that made the comment that he himself was a racist because of the institutions. So what you're dealing with is that in, in this Marxist-type theory of this idea of there are people in power versus the people that are oppressed, you have to come up with theories of revolutionizing and trying to take from one group uh, the power that they have. With, with Marx, it was obviously about economics, but with this, it's about society. And so they're trying to transform society by declaring that the white man is supposed to be inherently racist because it's all embedded in him. And if the white person says, wait a minute, I'm not a racist. I, I have black friends. I, I don't believe that they're inferior. I like being around them. And they say, that's white fragility. And so now, now you're dealing with if you're guilty of one thing and you don't admit your guilt, then therefore you must be guilty of some other thing, which is now, in this case, white fragility. That's basically, uh, in a nutshell, what, what it is. So in other words, when, when we talk about its aim, its aim is supposedly to deal with inequity. But the interesting thing is that the way it's saying that we should deal with the inequity is by looking at a group of people a certain way, right? So it used to be, for instance, in the 1960s, you know, when you had the uh, civil rights movement, the thing that they were fighting was prejudice, okay? Mm -hmm. And in particular, racial prejudice. But, you know, it used to be before that if you made a particular statement in general about a group of people, that would be considered prejudice, that you had prejudice. But it's interesting that here we're being told that, for instance, it's okay to say that if you're white, you are a racist, you know? But you can't say that about the black community, per se, let's say in, in the context of our country because... There, we had a, an institution of slavery that for many years did uh, fall under racial, racial lines. But it seems to me that in the process of trying to supposedly build an equity, doesn't that seem like it's inequity or inequitable itself? What do you think, Brother James? Well, yes. I, I mean... There's a lot of things from this theory, and even though you use it, it is a theory because there things don't make sense. It, it's very, very aligned with postmodernism. There's this aspect of, of just things that are, are contradictions. Um, I don't see this type of... Um, equality that is supposedly the whole aim of CRT. I really see 
kind of they pick and choose whatever it is that they really want to do. But I do want to uh, uh, add a little bit to what Johnny spoke of, because um, in uh, Richard Delgado's book, Critical Race Theory, he actually maps out these four key presuppositions on how CRT is and, and, and its outlook. And I think it's, it's, it's very telling, especially at the end. <clears throat> the first one is that racism is normal. You know, and it says that the usual way society does business, the common everyday experience of most people of color in this country is that racism is normal. And then they have this thing called convergent, convergence theory, which is that race class whites. So that's, it's really just white, the white ethnicity that is being tunnel visioned into these people. that are it's almost you know, it's, it's not so much that they learn racism that they have this uh hate towards people people of color that kind of comes to fruit guys are saying anti-liberalism they're saying that they're anti-liberal Because it questions the very foundation legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral against everything. And that's what we saw on postmodernism. It was going against modernity itself, which doesn't necessarily mean that modernity was correct, but it was even going against that. But this is the last one that, to me, it, it's just utter ridiculousness. And if you don't see this as ridiculous, put it in the comments. Tell me why it's not ridiculous. Ridiculous. Show to me why this is not a ridiculous statement. It says knowledge is socially constructed. So that storytelling, narrative reading is the way black people forward knowledge versus the science reason method of white people. It says that the minority status, in other words, brings with it pres presumed competence to speak about race and racism that the legal storytelling movement urges black and brown writers to recount their experiences with racism and the legal system and to apply their own unique perspective to assess laws, master narratives. It's, it's, that's subjective. And now it's saying that science itself, the thing that, that people go to as their standard, even when they're not religious people, they go to the standard. Now they're saying that this is wrong too, that this is, this is socially constructed through the white ethnicity. I mean, that's utter ridiculousness. I don't see how it, it wouldn't be. And then, and then speaking of their aim, this is what their aim is. According to their own writings, it says that, that this critical theory is geared toward identifying and exposing problems in order to facilitate revolutionary political change, which means that they want a revolution. They're not interesting. They're not interested in reforming anything. They're not interested in fixing. They're not. They want to change the entire thing to the way they see fit. And one of the, and, and, and a bunch of those things are are not only to promote this idea that there's this racism that is this coming out of the white 
ethnicity, and then by and large also the conservative people because they always tag them in there. But they want to get rid of the police, you know. They want to uh, they want to teach this to our kids starting from. I'm not even sure if it was what preschool with with the article that you were talking about, or maybe just kindergarten. But it's just utter ridiculousness. Well, the problem is that its aim is to really, as you said, to dismantle everything. Now, one of the difficulties, for instance, that I see is that uh, so some of these people are getting accused of being America haters, of hating our country, you know, and their answer is, oh, no, 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 we love our country. Matter of fact, it's a better, matter of fact, because we love our country, this is why we're trying to change things, right? But when you're essentially saying that everything about the country is wrong and it's bad, can you honestly say that you love the country? When you look at the Constitution and you're saying that that is a flawed and wrong document, that is actually the expression of what the United States is. That's what the 50 states accepted. And for someone to turn around and say, oh, yeah, I love the country, but I just don't, don't like what it is, doesn't that in itself seem contradictory? So it seems to me that for the person who is out there, for those of you that are watching the show, probably agree with, with us, you know, that, for instance, I have a great love for this country because I think that this country actually stands for what is good. And look, when you have, like, for instance, this week, Cubans using the American flag, right, or in China, you know, in Hong Kong, when they're crying out for liberty, they're using our flag, the United States. And it's not because of these uh, new newcomers that are with coming in with these new ideas, but because of that ideology and those beliefs that were established from before. And I think that it's a great problem that if you have these great values of the United States or you love these values, these people are basically saying, no, we don't care. We want to, we want to destroy them. I mean, think to, to yourself, is that what we want? Is that what we want to do to our society? Is America perfect? Let me add a one more quote. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Uh, this, this is also from Fault Lines, but it's, it's quoting here from... Uh, hold on, let me switch this up. Okay, it's not wanting to work. Well, anyway, uh, this is according to the UCLA Luskin School of Public Affairs. CRT recognizes that racism is ingrained in the fabric and system of the American society. The individual racist needs not exist to note that institutional racism is pervasive in the dominant culture. This is the analytical lens that CRT uses in examining existing power structures. CRT identifies that these power structures are based on white privilege and white supremacy, which perpetuates the marginalization of people of color. CRT also rejects the traditional, the traditions of liberalism and meritocracy. Legal discourse says that the law is neutral and colorblind. However, CRT challenges this legal truth by examining liberalism and medio mediocrity as a, I'm sorry, meritocracy, meritocracy as a vehicle for self-interest, power, and privilege. And so basically what they're saying is that, I mean, when you look at what racism was during the Civil War, right, it was about people declaring that a specific race, in this case it was the blacks, the Africans that had, had been brought over uh, in the slave trade, that these people were not human, that they were in inferior savages. Okay, that's racist. That's completely wrong. It is unchristian. And there were Christians 
on both sides of that argument. Christians saying they're inferior and other Christians saying, no, they're equal, they're created in the image of God and stuff like that. But then, as this became a social evil, the idea that, uh, that the blacks were inferior, now it became a separate but equal. So now you had another form of racism where you're saying, okay, yeah, you're equal to me. Yes, you're created in the image of God, but I want you to stay over there and I'll be over here. That's racist, absolutely. But now we're not talking about separate but equal. We're not talking about inferiority. We're actually talking about someone saying that it's systemic in the countries, in the culture, and in the fabric of society. Even if you yourself don't feel a certain way, you're beneficiary. And just by the fact that you're white, I mean, none of us are actually Caucasian, but uh, just the very fact that you're white makes you by default, a racist and, and the beneficiary of uh, white privilege. And that these are the kinds of things that are, are taught as a worldview, as a religious worldview, to be honest. Well, I have to correct you on that one, brother. Uh, Asians are now considered white because of, of their privilege. As a matter of fact, they even have at times greater privilege than the white people do. So <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if you heard about the, uh, the, the this little cartoon that uh, I, I think it was uh, the Babylon Bee did where... Or, or I don't, know, I don't remember if it was the actual level on B. I think it was, or not to be, but where actually they had a you know a, a meeting of the of the white supremacists and, and they were introducing an Asian, and mm -hmm. uh, and a guy was protesting. Why are we bringing in an Asian? And the idea is that mm -hmm. because of the way now privilege is being looked at, mm -hmm. it's, even though they're making racist claims, we're seeing that this is one of the ways where it's inconsistent because they're saying, well, Asians have you know they're overly represented. In these areas, and therefore, you know, they have they have privilege as whites do so. So it kind of shows you that this is a this is not something that they're actually consistent on. On the one hand, they're saying, well, it's an issue of race, but then on the other, if it if it's not fitting, you know, their racial right description, mm -hmm. then you know they start modifying it. So and this goes back to what uh, Brother James pointed out, which is that if this is just social construction, couldn't we accuse them of the same thing? Aren't they just bringing a new ideology to the table, creating their own social construct? So it just becomes ridiculous, as James said, because what is the standard? What when we as Christians are we to look for the truth? Yes, right. If we're looking for the truth, that means that we're looking for a standard. And what these people are doing is they're they're not bringing in a standard. And if it is, it's a subjective standard. We, and apart from the fact that I don't even think it's a biblical standard. So the second question that I actually have is, should we embrace CRT and its developing movements such as BLM and Antifa? Black Lives Matter is essentially, you know, the, the group that is trying to make an argument towards, you know, looking at the black community in a different way, right? And then you have Antifa, which is supposed to be a movement that describes itself as being anti-fascist. But in reality, what are these movements really doing? Brother James, do you have any comment on this? Yeah, so, well, one of the issues with CRT is they've brought in this, you could call it as a subset, or you can say that it's it's goes hand in hand. I, I think it's more of a subset. It, it's being drawn out of critical race theory is this thing called intersectionality. Uh, so the Encyclopedia of Diversity and Social Justice 
gives us this quote. And the reason I, I want to quote it instead of just explain it is because it's so self-explanatory. You're going to listen to it and you're going to go, what is this that is going on in our world? It says, our experiences of the social world are shaped by our ethnicity, race, social class, gender identity, sexual orientation, and numerous other facets of social stratification. Some social locations afford privilege, while others are oppressive. These various aspects of social inequality do not operate independently of each other. They interact to create interrelated systems of oppression and domination. The concept of intersectionality refers to how these various aspects of social location intersect to mutually constitute individuals' lives, ex lived experiences. So what this does is it's, it's putting a class system in terms of oppression, okay? So they're using, they're using uh, communistic ways and ideologies to explain these things. It just makes me laugh. But in, in other words, the more oppressed you are, it's going to be by your, your either ethnicity, race, social class. And if you have them all, let's say you're, you're a woman, right? That's the, supposedly the, the oppressed one of the gender. You're black, the most oppressed of the ethnicities. You're gay, the most oppressed of the sexual orientation, or maybe now it's transgender instead of being gay. And uh, who knows what else they want to add to it. That puts you at the highest oppressed person that there is. And you see here, we're looking at this like, really? Are you seriously telling me that you are oppressed more and more and more because of all these? I mean, I've seen people, white uh, males who are, heterosexuals who have been oppressed by different people in their lives i mean does that does that count i don't under you know these things are all subjective they all continue to to bring in these these kooky well, ideas the problem but, the problem is they deny meritocracy right and so our system is supposed to be based on that your reward is based upon your merit right according in other words if you work hard Right, then you will reap the reward, you know, of the fruit of your labor. And they're saying is no, 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 this this system is not based on that. But if you look at what they're doing with victimhood, isn't that their own form of meritocracy? So in other words, if you can link in how oppressed you are based on you know this, this these groups within intersectional intersectionality, excuse me, then therefore you have a favored status, right? So here, it's not about, you know, about being proactive about something, but it has to do what people or society has done to you. And this is definitely Marxism right here, because we know that Marxism, as Johnny explained earlier, had to do with the idea basically of the working class and the elite. But what we're seeing now is that the new form of neo-Marxism, the new cultural Marxism, what it's doing is it's now taking not just the issue of class, but it's applying it to race, it's applying it to gender, right? And these different subsets. And in reality, what is this doing to our country? Do you think this is actually going to unite us as a people? No, this is actually creating the opposite. And I actually think that these are people that are what uh, I believe Joseph Stalin 
I don't remember if it was Lenin or Stalin who he referred to, you know, the communists who were here in the United States when he was around as useful idiots because they were, these were communists here in the United States promoting communism and being a benefit to the communists out there. And the propaganda that was actually being pushed before is pretty much this. This is the fruit of this is the fruit of what we're seeing now. We know that in the United States, everything changed in the 1960s. The 1960s brought radical ideologies into our society, particularly through the colleges and the universities. And we're seeing the inevitable fruit of this. And I think that because our society has been, you know, kind of like the, you know how they talk about that analogy of you throw a frog, you know, in a, in a, in a pot, and you start raising, you know, little by little the heat, you know, that you'll eventually uh, boil up, which is not true. I'm sure you know that at some point, right? If we were in a pool and it started to get hot, at a certain point you're going to jump out. But if we were to follow that analogy, that's in essence what's happening here, which is that ever since the 1960s, we've had ideas after ideas being pushed, right? And I think one of the ideas, for instance, that led to that would be in the case of gay marriage. We were told that if we just allowed people that were gay, you know, to be able to marry the way everybody else does, that that would, in essence, you know, bring that tolerance and acceptance that was needed. But did it do that? No. Now we've got, you know, uh, the LGBT plus, you know, community, you know, breaking off into all these splinters, asking for their own rights. And so we're seeing that instead of uniting the people, instead of it being fruitful, it's actually doing the opposite. It's becoming very divisive. And in many ways, by adopting these ideologies, we're actually destroying the country in the process. Because we're not looking at each other as men and women, as human beings, but as all these little subsets that really shouldn't, shouldn't matter. These are things that make up people, you know, but it's not things by which, you know, we should be defined. And our law does not define it as, as such. And for the things that, that we do have uh, protections for, I think those are, you know, those things are legal. But we're seeing how they're trying to bring these things in. But instead of making things better, it's actually complicating them. And it's actually creating more oppression. Why? Because it's just as a nature of law. What happens when you multiply laws? It only oppresses you more. Because that means that you have, in essence, more traps that, are, that you're being set towards. And I don't know how long we as a society can live in, live in that kind of a system. One of the things that I'd like to look at, which is dealing with the third question, is how does scripture weigh these? Oh, hold on. May, may I answer that question? I didn't get a chance to answer it. Oh, you'd like to add to that point? Sure. Go right ahead. Yes. Well, I, I just wanted to answer that question with the words of the Apostle Paul. In Galatians 3.26, because as a Christian show, we've got to answer these questions from a Christian worldview. Yes. And, and on the issue of race, uh, he is talking about the covenants, but, but he is also discussing the issue of race and class and sex. In Galatians 3.26, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are... For all of you are one in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you, you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. 
So uh, the Apostle Paul in sacred scripture, uh, according to the teaching of God's word, we are being told that we are not supposed to look at each other and say, well, this person belongs to this community and that person belongs to that community. We're all supposed to belong to one community, and that's the community of Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, yeah, so so that, that so, so in, in answering that first question about how uh, the scripture ways of theory is, the sec you know, the second question, which is basically a, a, a parallel to it is, how, how are they violating biblical precepts? So you gave an, an example right now from Galatians. I'd like to actually give some examples from uh, actually three sections of scripture. And I'd like, I'd like us to take a look at Proverbs 20, looking at verses 10 through 11. And look what it says here. It says, unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. But notice how it says that God despises unequal measures. And what, what do we have with these theories? They're basically asking to accept us to look at double standards, right? So in other words, we're told, for instance, that the white race is racist by nature. So what about the black race? Is there racism in the black race? And the answer to that, according to this theory, is no, because blacks cannot be racist. So is that not a double standard? So whites can be racist, but blacks cannot be racist. Now, I don't think I have to explain to any of you if you guys have ever seen blacks be racist, you know, and it's not even an issue about blacks. Because I've seen Latinos be racist. I've seen Asians be racist. You know, I've seen Europeans be racist. So it's not an issue of, of color, right? It's not an issue of, of, uh, of even uh, tribalism in a sense, right? But it has to do with, you know, who, you know, it, where does that come from? Where did, where, does, where did Jesus say all the issues of life come from? It comes from the heart of man. That's where it comes from. And so for someone to say, this man is 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 uh, is bad, you know. But this man cannot be bad because he's this. That actually does not take into consideration that first of all, all men are sinners. And so when people say, "Well, there's a problem in the human race with uh, racism," I actually would agree with them because I think there are degrees also of prejudice. But does that mean that particular groups should be, you know, uh, delegated based on 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 their particular? Uh, race uh, racism no because if you look at history you're going to see that actually different peoples oppress different peoples at different times even here in the americas before the the colonizers came you had oppression within the native groups so that's just the reality that has always been a second text that i'd like us to take a look at and this is an important one as well is ezekiel 1820 ezekiel 1820 states the soul who sins shall die the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing another aspect, which is that in these groups, we are being told, for instance, that whites should be paying reparations to blacks based on what? On a past sin, right? Because the white society you know, enslaved and oppressed the black society. 
But in essence, are we not violating the principle of this text? Shall we impugn those people that are living today who were not involved in that, or even worse than that, who don't even support it, you know? And to turn around and say that, on top of the fact that if you know anything about history, this is an insult to people in the past. Because when the Civil War happened, half of the, you know, half of, the, of, the, of those that fought were fighting for what? For the freedom of the, of, of the black from slavery. And those people died for that. And then to turn around and say, oh, all whites have to pay, you know, a reparation, you know, because of what happened. This is actually an insult to those who fought and gave their life for that. And I think that once again, this is showing, first of all, that we're not operating on truth and that we're operating on different measures, which is an abomination to the Lord. Third, I'd like to take a look at John 7, 724, which says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And this has to do with the fact that if we're not to judge by appearances, brothers, isn't judging by someone's skin color judging by appearance? Can you tell the heart of a man by the color of his skin? No. But yet, based on these theories and what these people are perpetuating, this is actually a violation of biblical precepts. And I think it's very important that when we're considering these things that are being promoted, CRT, BLM, Antifa, you know, um, I'm sure there are other things, you know, that, that we've uh, forgot to mention here. You mentioned intersectionality, James. These are things that as Christians, we have to be very, very clear about. And we got to make judgment on these things. Any any comments? Any other text, brothers, that you could see uh, could fit in terms of violation of God's uh, law? Uh, I do actually have some comments uh, that are on the feed and, and a couple of questions. But I don't know if you want to wait for those, though. Yes, I think we let's let's if, did any did any of you have any more uh, examples of uh, text or precepts? James, if you can please uh, go ahead. Well, okay, so um, one thing that that these people are doing is when they're infiltrating their ideologies into the Christian world. What's happening is we have these people that are coming out, they're writing their books, they're writing their articles, they have their podcasts and their blogs. And what they're essentially saying is that the savior theology that comes out of the Bible, because our Lord Jesus Christ is our savior. He's saving us from the wrath of God through his atonement, through his work. But they want to talk about this thing called liberation theology, which what, what it's doing is it's, it's taking the focus away from Christ's work and putting it on the oppressed of, of the world. And it's using scriptures where it talks about oppression. And I think they're doing it out of context. Um, and maybe we can look at, at one of those um, in a little bit. But what I did want to show is that, so they're, they're, they're twisting scripture. But this is the thing. Regardless of the circumstances, if, if, for instance, all this was true, if critical race theory was true, this is the problem also, is that they are not dealing with the problem 
the correct way, or at least the biblical way. So this is more geared towards those Christians that have embraced this. Because the Bible specifically says in Luke 6, 27 through 36, if you guys could turn there. So Luke 6, 27 through 36, where it states, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from who you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So what is the principle that is taught here? Because we know Jesus can speak a lot of times in, in, this, in this parabolistic way or, or somewhat of, of analogous to certain things from the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament also repeats this. We are to be loving to our enemies. We are to try to teach them, you guys, what you guys are doing is wrong. You guys should uphold the biblical scriptures because that is our standard and that and, and and we believe and trust that that is the only standard by which you can go and live your life on because it is the only thing that transcends human thought and human beings in, and mankind in general they're not going about this the right way if in fact it is true what they're doing is they're they're using wrongs to take care of wrongs. It's two evils don't make a right, right? Everybody knows that saying. This is exactly what they're doing. And they just, they don't care. They don't care. They're just going to go back to their ideology, which as we saw what their aim was, their aim is not to reform. It is revolution. So what you're, what you're basically stating, brother, is that what we just learned from Jesus is that we're supposed to show mercy, Right? As Christians, we are to show mercy. Law is law, right? But what these people are doing is they're actually perverting law because what, they, what they're calling equitable is actually inequitable. And what they're actually calling for is the very precept, actually, James, that you hit on, which is that they're calling for repaying evil for evil. And what did God, what did the Lord tell us? Do not repay evil with evil. But that's a great example that we have there. Now, I did want to mention something which is uh, going to be connected with the fourth and last question, because at the 45 minute mark, we do want to get into uh, questions and particularly the ones that we haven't answered, Johnny. So we're going to actually want to take on uh, two questions brought, brought to us uh, in a, from a previous show by John Marvin. And we'll have to deal with the comments and, and questions at another time for, for today's show. 
but going to that point, I want to once again point you to another article coming from uh, WCTI12.com news, and it has to do with Project Veritas actually catching an attorney for PBS stating that what they want to do is take Trump voters and put them in re-education camps. And because of that, and it was brought out by Project Veritas to the public, the attorney has actually uh, resigned. And this is very telling in light of what I said earlier, which is that we have the NEA, which is supposed to be a union that is supposed to be serving the people, serving us, right? But telling us yet that it doesn't matter what we want to teach our children, we're going to teach what they deem to be right. And here we have for PBS, which we know is uh, does receive public funding. It's not all public funding, you know, but we have someone from within, you know, that particular institution uh, very openly stating this view. And I think that this has kind of pretty scary connotations because even if they're not doing it at the moment, brothers, what did I just say about the 1960s? All these radical ideas were out there and it was just a matter of time before these things came to fruition. Why, why would we not think that many of these uh, evils that they want to put upon us who are opposing, you know, their views and their theories that they're not going to come after us? So the fourth question is, what should Christians do in light of the spread of racial theories? And I'll let you guys go ahead and uh, answer that. And I'll, we'll start with you, Johnny, since uh, James was the last one to speak. Well, uh, one of the things that I like to focus on, and I'll be brief, uh, is is just that Christians need to impose. Well, let me rephrase. I think that Christians need to focus on discipling. Pastors need to disciple, teach Christian ideals, Christian worldview to the people in the church. And I know that we're not supposed to necessarily get political in church per se, but we are supposed to have a Christian worldview, teach people. About because Christianity tells us about where we came from, who we are, where we're going, and it centers around God and what He wants us to do. And so, as Christians, this is what the leaders, the elders, and the deacons. This is what they're supposed to do. And then, and the other aspect of it, it's the parents. If if you're someone out there in the audience, you're a Christian, and your kids are out there and they're being taught these uh, anti-Christian uh, ideas in their schools. We know that they're hearing it at the university because this stuff is in the universities and it's being taught even to the little kids. It's, it's in the television. Uh, it's on, the, it's on uh, you know, the television shows, the, the, the sitcoms. These things are being taught. They sprinkle them in there with their jokes and, and with their dramatic. And also, of course, when you're watching uh, television shows like Supergirl, uh, which I've watched many of them, although I've kind of gotten tired of it, uh, because the, the, the politics tends to get really overblown and they're always portraying conservatives as villains and that's a narrative uh, choice that they make. And so uh, I think that parents need to be aware and teach their kids, look, this is, this is the Christian way of seeing the world. And if parents take the time to talk to their children, expose them to the right material, you know, have them read the Bible, pray, read uh, good books that teach them, you know, how to think critically rather than critical theory, but to actually think critically uh, and to, to just have discipleship. If you, ha if you were to train soldiers in the church and in the home, 
you will not have this kind of success because these things, the, the, the schools and the media and the, the entertainment industry are, are basically breeding grounds for these kinds of information. I think that Christians need to participate in, you know, make good uh, faith-promoting movies that are good, you know, and, and make Christian schools that actually teach kids these things. And I think you can see a change in, in that way because, because these, these, uh, these unbiblical theories that are anti-God uh, or anti the Christian God, uh, these these theories tend to fall apart. There, at one point, communism and then the the socialism of the communist of the USSR with the Soviet Union uh, that was seen as something that was going to bring an end to the world. And guess what? The Soviet Union is now gone. So this stuff can go away, but we it needs to be defeated by by truth. And so I'll leave it at that and I'll let uh, Brother James take over. If possible, James, if, if, if you can give us a, a response in about a minute, because we're getting into our question time. Yeah, very simple. You need to have people um, knowledgeable when it comes to these types of, of worldviews that come out. So one of the best ways to do that is share this video. And and uh, there's a bunch of, I mean, in all seriousness, share it, because I think we're talking about, we're, we're, we're explaining it in a, in a in a very simplistic way, there's a many books. Like I said, I would promote Vody Bauckham's book on critical race theory. There's also a Carl Truman's book on uh, the rise and triumph of the modern self. Uh, but definitely, you need to correct these people when it when it comes up. And the way you do that is through Scripture, as Second Timothy three sixteen says, all Scripture is God breathed by uh, God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that's what you need to do. You need to use the word of God and show them that this is not biblical. This is not right. Where, what's your standard? How, why is it that critical race theory has this standard? It just came out of nowhere, number, number one. And number two, does it transcend man's thought? Is it really above man's thought? Or is it just man-centered theology? Yes, I think both of you made uh, good points. Definitely want to be informed. We hope that this show you know, is one of those vehicles towards that. But the one thing that I personally want to say is be bold. For those of you who have children, be bold and get involved in your community. Second, and actually you should be first, is we should be praying about this. We need to be praying for our nation, and we, we need to be particularly at your local level. Pray for your community and be involved and know what's going on. And don't be afraid to voice your opinion and encourage those with you. Join others and, and give me your opinion. And third, show mercy. Do not be like them. Do not repay evil with evil. Show mercy to them. Let's pray that God may change minds, that some of these people will be able to be, uh, their eyes may be able to be open, that they may not be blind to, you know, what they are in. Because it seems to me that today, you know, there's a lot of, you know, we have the whole cancel culture. We just, we don't want people to hear other ideas. We have a culture of, which is just mono. He just wants to express one thing, and that's that's a wrong thing. I mean, look, if the Bible itself encourages to question even the apostles, the apostle Paul himself commended the Bereans for looking for those things. So, uh, you know, were they, were they, whether they were so the things that he was speaking, how much more should we not be looking at all these other things? So, I encourage you on that. Pray about it. Get involved, and be loving. And show mercy to your neighbor. Let us now go to 
our questions. And I do want to, do you happen to have those ready, Brother Johnny? Uh, uh, yes, I do. John Marvin, that we had on our uh, show regarding uh, the rapture. Oh, do I have the, the questions that he wrote? No, I don't have those ready with me. No? Okay. No. Um, yeah, uh, Brother James has them. Yeah. Would you like to go ahead and uh, mm -hmm. why don't you start with the first one? Yeah. So the first question was from John Marvin. Um, he put, if caught up in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 means Jesus will physically take the church out of the planet Earth, did the man mentioned in 2 Corinthians 12 also physically fly off planet Earth when it says he was caught up? Did you, did you want to answer that one, uh, Johnny? Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, I didn't know if you wanted to take tackle it first and then me, or but I'll go ahead. Uh, okay. Well, the answer is uh, the, well, let me answer the second one first. In 2 Corinthians 12, 2, Paul says he doesn't know if the the man, uh, which, which we believe it's Paul talking about himself, uh, he says that whether he was in the body or out of the body, he doesn't know. God knows. So, so Paul actually answers the second question in the text that he's citing. Uh, regarding the first question, uh, part of the misunderstanding that a lot of people have is uh, in modern-day evangelicalism, they assume that this is a passage that's talking about the, what is called the so-called rapture. Uh, I prefer to call it the harpazo because I don't associate anything with the, the church and the end of the church and all that. I don't believe in any of that. Uh, so... The, the whole idea is that the language that Paul is using is the language that was known in the early church among the Romans. And so what would happen was that when the, when the emperor would come in glory from war, uh, the people in the inside of the gates would actually go outside to meet him. And then would, as the celebration would come, as the emperor would come back home, the people that had met him outside the gates would come back with him. And so the idea that the imagery that Paul is using is that at the second coming of Christ, Christ is going to take the people from the earth, glorify them, and then they participate in that second coming with Jesus at the resurrection, which uh, as, as someone who is a male myself, I believe this is, not, this is the moment in which we get into the great white throne judgment, et cetera, et cetera. We can get into premillennialism at another time, but those would be my two answers. Yeah, I think I also want to point out that we're talking about two different things here, right? We have to pay attention to context because the event that's being described in First Thessalonians 4 and then uh, and the other, what was the other scripture? The one uh, regarding uh, uh, Paul? Corinthians 12, too. There you go. Yeah, so we're talking about two different things. I don't think that Paul is talking there about about the uh, the coming of the Lord, right? He's actually speaking about an experience that he has. But as you said, he gives the answer. He does he does not know. But I do I do like a point that uh, privately uh, you had made, brother Johnny, and this is why I actually had picked on you, which is that the fact that he actually questions it kind of implies that he could, right? Mm -hmm. That he could well, bodily but, have, have gone up. But there's a but there's a reason that that's being raised for the because uh, Mr. John Marvin, I've never met him. But Mr. John yeah. Marvin is a full preterist, and uh, let, me, let me just make a, clear, a, a quick point. Uh, the, the thing about full preterism is that because they believe that the second coming of Christ 
in finality took place in 70 AD, they believe that that's the moment in which the resurrection took place. And for them, that means that the resurrection is not a physical resurrection, but only spiritual. And so they argue that in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, when Paul says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, that therefore we cannot be, that this body that we currently have right now is not fit for heaven. It cannot be glorified because it is flesh and blood. Uh, what the, and this is the same point that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses make about the resurrection of Christ. They say flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Therefore, Jesus didn't rise in the same body and go to heaven. Uh, the problem is that the, the phrase flesh and blood was known to the Jewish people to refer to sinful uh, humanity. And so when, when Paul speaks of uh, flesh and blood not inherit the kingdom of God, he's talking about our, uh, how we are as sinful and our body is in a sinful condition. So the idea is that the body is supposed to be glorified. It's supposed to put on the spiritual. And so it becomes a body that is fit for heaven. But the significance about this connection between 1 Corinthians 15.50 and 2 Corinthians 12.2 is that if Paul understood his own words as being that this body could never under any conditions enter into the presence of God, then he would have never asked that question in 2 Corinthians 12.2, whether in the body or out of the body, because he would have known that. And the fact that he doesn't know that means that he believed that you could have your body, this body, in a glorified state in heaven. Okay. Brother James, uh, did you want to add anything, or can we go to the uh, second question? Yeah, you guys answered it perfectly, so I think we, let's go to the second okay. question. Let's go to the second question. So if Jesus is going to rapture the church out of the world, why does Jesus pray for the exact opposite thing to happen? that the church would not be taken out of the world in John 17, 15, and 20. So this is concerning the uh, the priestly prayer of Jesus, right? Yes. Yes. Well, once again, I think that context is very important, right? Because notice that he says there uh, that he's he doesn't want them to be taken out of the world, but what does he actually do? He's sending them out, right? So that's the that's the purpose. But we're also talking about the present ministry ministry of Jesus, right? The uh, those of us uh, who are all millennial believe that we are living in the in the uh, millennial uh, reality, right? And that we are actually uh, uh, actually fulfilling uh, the 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 conquering, you know, of all things being put under His feet. And so when it speaks, when we speak about the uh, about the rapture, though. You know, or the, the or the caught up. We're actually talking about about the end. Now, this is where it makes it very difficult because if you're saying that it's only spiritual, right? Then that end happened what in 70 A.D. You know, but um, and and I, and, I, and I actually don't know this. I think maybe perhaps Brother Johnny, you might have a better clue as to what what is it exactly believed by full preterist is the catching up. So, what is that exactly, or that had parts of? That happens spiritually. How does that happen spiritually? Uh, that, well, the, the problem is that there are different views uh, among them. Uh, but but generally speaking, what we, we have to understand is that for the full preterist, they believe that the resurrection, and that for them that's a past event. It's not present or future. Yes. It's a past event. Uh, so for them, 
resurrection means that you go from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so in their doctrine of the intermediate state, pre-70 AD, if a, if, a, if a believer dies, he goes into paradise, which is in the Hadean realm. And there's a lot of people in the Reformed community. We're, all, we're actually Reformed ourselves, but we are actually in disagreement with many in the Reformed community regarding the issue of what happened to the saints that died prior to Christ. And so full preterists are in agreement with us that, that uh, the people that died prior to Christ uh, that were believers would go into paradise, which was in the realm, the abode of the dead, which is known in the Hebrew as Sheol uh, or in the Greek as Hades or Hades, depending on how you pr pronounce it. And uh, so they believe that when the, when Christ returns in 70 AD from the full preterist perspective, not the partial preterist perspective, that those who are in Hades are, are brought out of Hades and they go to heaven and that's the resurrection. And the, the glorified bodies that they receive are actually a byproduct of the resurrection. The body, the body rising is not the resurrection in full preterism. It's, the, it's a byproduct of the resurrection. And so when it comes to uh, the, the catching up, I, I assume that they would, there would be various interpretations. And they might have more of a spiritual aspect of it because they believe that post-70 AD, anyone who is uh, born again... Is, is somehow spiritually alive, and then at death, the spirit leaves the body and goes to heaven and receives their new body in heaven. That's the closest I can get to it, but I don't think that you'll find unanimity among full preterists on, on, the, on the Harpazo exactly. Okay. So basically, yeah, so we would have a, a fundamental disagreement in terms of, because we obviously, uh, we confess, as the church has historically has, right, that Christ will return, as Acts 1 says, you know, uh, from from heaven, you know, in the clouds, and that uh, and that we will we will we will behold him, and that obviously we believe that in First Thessalonians, it's describing the event in which we are being uh, caught up to him when he comes uh, when he comes in, in judgment to put all things put all things to end, right? So, uh, uh, I mean, I'm not I don't know how much more I can add to that, but other than uh, that, that would be our our. Uh, our conclusion, which is that we don't believe that that in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, that there is a just a spiritual aspect to that, but that it's actually speaking about the physical resurrection. Because we Can actually... I add one more thing? Yes, go ahead. Can I add one more thing? Okay, I did want to say one thing, because one, the, one, the question that Mr... Is Marvin his last name, or is that a middle name? Yes, that's his last name. Marvin, okay. So it, it, for Mr. Marvin, uh, if you're... you're he, what, the, I guess the point that he's trying to make is because of the pre-trib rapture doctrine that says that the church is taken out of the earth. Basically they're rescued because they escape that judgment. And he's saying, if the church is not supposed to go through the tribulation as the pre-tribulation rapture is, why is it that Jesus is saying, uh, do not take them out of the world. And uh, what, what I would point out to him is obviously I would agree with Mr. Marvin on the issue that, that Jesus is not taking people, rescuing them out of the great tribulation or anything like that. But where I would disagree with uh, Mr. Marvin is in his understanding that the, that the, uh, that the parousia of Christ is uh, what Jesus is describing in, the, in the, the priestly prayer. In the priestly prayer, he's talking about the events that will happen after he ascends to heaven regarding the, uh, the apostles 
going out and preaching the gospel and they're about to receive persecution and martyrdom and uh, that this is necessary for God to accomplish his will. So, uh, so I, I would not see an appropriate connection between what Jesus is saying in John 17 uh, with uh, the Harpazo and, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Okay. Anything else you'd like to add, Brother James? Well, yeah, he mentioned not only verse 15, but he also mentioned verse 20. But when you look at the context of verse 20, right before Jesus is um, praying about the, his disciples being sanctified and sanctified in truth. And then right after that, that's where verse 20 comes in and he goes, and I do not ask on behalf on, of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So I think he was trying to tie that, oh, this is not just about the disciples. This is also about all believers and in terms of verse 15. But there, the context for verse 20 is right before it, where it's speaking about sanctifying in truth. Now, in verse 15, just like you guys pointed out, this is, this is not talking about the rapture or this is not in light of the rapture. First of all, the disciples, except for one, died before 70 AD. So, so Jesus was only talking about one disciple, Mr. John Marvin. Uh, number two, um, if you yourself don't believe that the rapture is before this tribulation, right? Because my understanding of full preterism is that they believe that the tribulation happened right before or leading up to 70 AD. And then 70 AD was like the final judgment day per se, right? And, and that happened. What, what does that have to do with, with this? I mean, they were, they were practically gone. I don't understand, you know, I don't understand what he, and it says to keep them from the evil one. So what you're saying, the evil one is the Antichrist. I mean, there's a lot of questions that now the full preterist would have to bring up and they can never bring in 1 Corinthians 15. That is really their Achilles heel. And I even wrote a little commentary on it, if anybody is interested, where it shows you that this is literally talking about a physical body becoming a glorified body and it gives allusions to it by using the seed be turning into a plant. There's this metamorphosis that happens. That's it. All right. Thank you. Uh, we're already running out of time here. Uh, Brother Johnny, I, I would like for you to uh, uh, address how many comments did we have regarding today's particular show? Uh, we had, uh, well, this is a guy by the name of Steve Hawk. Uh, I, I don't know if you know him. No. No, okay. So uh, he made a few comments, but he asked a few questions. Uh, he said, uh, Brother Eric, there's nothing wrong with criticizing your own country, but there's a difference. If you criticize your own country in order to change its fundamental principles. Uh, about, And then he says, about Asians, CRT views everything as oppress oppressors versus oppressed like white versus minorities, but CRT lumps Asians in with white. It's ridiculous, but er like Eric said. Uh, about intersectionality, uh, in CRT you are rank ranked according to where you are on the intersectionality ladder. Christian white men are at the bottom, uh, woke black LGBTQ at the top, etc. 
then he asks these questions. Why are minorities like Asians and white Hispanics, George Zimmerman, considered white by CRT? Is it because they don't fit the CRT narrative as oppressed racial minorities? Uh, and then he has uh, a few more questions. Okay. Can we stop, start with that one? Well, what I want, well, we're at, we're at, a, at a, we're at an hour and six minutes and we want to kind of respect, you know, the, uh, the timing of the show, but I did yeah. want to have a, 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 an idea of what we will be addressing uh, in the following show. So in the following show, uh, we will be uh, dealing with these questions and uh, Steve Hawk, welcome. And thank you very much for contributing uh, to our show, to being able to have a, a good lively discussion. And uh, sort of his last comment is really the, the one that I think we should do for the next show. <clears throat> yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, so we could definitely, we, we haven't actually uh, planned out what our next show is, right? Because we, we did have uh, uh, the issue of race and we wanted to deal with the ideologies uh, uh, today. Well, well, actually, this is what he said, though. Uh, maybe you guys can consider going over one hour for Q&A. I don't think most your followers would mind. It's a good way to measure public interest, interact with people, which attracts more people, etc. So, I mean, I, I think that uh, maybe we could probably set up a, a, a way. I, I don't know if maybe they could they could email us the questions, or send the questions uh, in the in the maybe on the Facebook comment section, and then we could catalog them all and then read them out loud and just do a Q and A show. But um, it depends on how many questions we are able to gather. So if Mr. Uh, Steve Hawk would like to compile a list of questions, uh, we could do that. I, I, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think if anybody that has uh, any, yeah, I think anybody who has any, anything particular to say, uh, go ahead and send your comments, uh, send your questions. Uh, it, it'll be a little difficult because I don't know how many questions we're going to be getting, but maybe what we can do is, we can address the questions, and if there's any comments, maybe we can kind of highlight some comments that people make. But uh, I think that. But for today, I think this this is going this is going to be good enough for what we're doing for today. And uh, so I want to thank you for joining us. And if you've been blessed by this show, I want you to go ahead and support us by hitting like, subscribe, share, or comment. And remember to go live with us every other week. So two weeks from now, we'll be back, and hopefully. Uh, We'll be able to have a, another good show that can bring some uh, good discussion and good light into these things that we're trying to uh, square off in this world because as we're citizens of heaven, you know, we're still living in this world, right? Just as uh, we learned in uh, John 17, we're not to be taken out of the world, but we're actually to have an effect in the world. And so we appreciate all of you who are supporting us. And so we just ask you to continue to pray for us. And we appreciate your support, and we just ask the Lord to bless you, and we will be seeing you next time. So may the Lord be with you until until next uh, following live uh, Thursday. <laughs>